Welcome to Wine Splaining, the podcast that peels back the layers of the women's journeys that are helping shape the wine business. I'm Coley Denhan, and I'm excited to present today's guest, Krista Scruggs. I'm a black woman, queer farmer in this country, and I have very few people to look up to in that perspective, and that shouldn't be that way. Krista Scruggs of Zaffa Wine is an American natural wine and cider maker. I dare say an exciting and experimental one at that. Since coming on the wine scene, Krista has made quite a name for herself in a very short time. Being black, queer, and a woman farmer, making wine in Vermont, turns out garners a lot of interest. This has been a double-edged sword for Krista. With some incredible highs and very tough lows, in such a short amount of time, Krista has had a whirlwind career, to say the least. We happened to catch her here in our Los Angeles studio while she was visiting from Vermont, where we spoke candidly about her journey from big dreams of becoming the first woman in the NBA to all her career challenges and triumphs, including one really crappy year. Welcome to Winesplaining, Krista. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Let's kind of dive into your story, and we'll talk more about your brands a little later on, but, you know, let's kind of just go from the beginning. Um, how, where you grew up, how you grew up. I know um, you farmed with your grandfather, uh, and kind of want to know, like, what little Krista was up to. Little Krista um, thought that she was going to be uh, the first woman in the NBA, which I know I learned very recently over the last couple of years that there actually was a woman that was drafted. I forget her name off the top of my head, was drafted into the NBA. I digress. Little Krista loved basketball and then I had a knee injury. Everyone I played basketball with won Division One, but me. Then that shifted to me falling in love with music um, and other, like basically sustain myself creatively. And then opportunity presented itself for me to work at Constellation Brands, which. Um, for contacts, they own. They bought out Robert Madawi's private selection. Um, they also own Pacifico and Modelo. So they're a big conglomerate that that owns wine, spirits, and um, beer labels like Gallo, Bronco as well. And I was hired on to be um, opportunity to present itself to be. Uh, uh, I was a logistics coordinator. I was hired on. All the while, at the part of that, I was pursuing becoming a firefighter because my aunt, who was the one to find this connection for this job opening, her husband at the time was a fire captain. And so I was starting all the steps to become a firefighter. And then I had to make a choice, like either continue that that path or wine. And like, and so I made the, when I realized that Robin Madavi was in their book, it, for some reason it clicked with me because that's what I saw. Like, that's what my parents were drinking. And so like this, I was like, not even understand like the grass, you know, concert brands. But I was like, oh, this at least would be entertaining. And then um, that led to me, because as my role as a logistics coordinator, I was the middle person between the lab, the seller, the lab, uh, and the winemaker. And so most wines that you're purchasing at a grocery store, um, they are treated, there's a certain, there's, they had hit a certain TA, a certain pH, certain bricks. Um, bricks, when they're being picked, they're just a formula. And so the winemaker then approves that. Um, but then if there's any issues in the lab, they'll make adjustments 
in the cellar. So these are like, these tanks are about 250,000 gallon tanks. And, but it was just strange to me because I'm from the Central Valley, I'm from Fresno, but there is literally no context in regards to the viticulture side of it, even though it's all around. And Constantine Brands, this location is in Mardera. So even driving there, uh, I just didn't, and I'm a very curious person and why I brought up even like me pursuing basketball, I thought I really thought I was going to be the first one in the NBA. I just, since a kid has been ambitious and curious and then I've luckily grew up in a family and in a community that I was never told I couldn't do anything when I said I was going to be a bas- the first one in the NBA. I was, no one literally told me that was not going to happen. So when the, so basically, any I always felt that anything that I want to do, I could do it. And I probably can say that in some shape or form, that has been 100% true. And so I wanted to pursue this curiosity of understanding um, the whole picture. And I, I need to grasp the farming aspect of it. So I then left Constitution Brands and went, I don't even know if the site is still up, uh, Workaway, wherein um, you, in, ex- in short, in exchange for... Um, you, there are people who list there's job opportunities and you get they feed you and you get a place to live in exchange for work so you work and then you have a place to live so a lot of people utilize this to travel so they don't have to worry about hotel prices They all they have to do is just fly somewhere and then you you know you're only supposed to work four hours a day and then your food is covered and, you're, and then you, you're typically free to do whatever you need to do for me I was like I'll give you all of me if you give me all of me. And give me all of you, and I'll give you all of me. Meaning I wanted to learn. And I like I felt this was a free way to learn um, while while having not worry about the expenses of food and living. So Can I, I stop you for a second? Yeah. I need to go back before you get too far on your timeline. Yeah. So what position did you play as a basketball player? Well, I'm a tall four five three <laughs> on a good day. So I was a point guard. Okay. Yeah, definitely a point guard. And Michael Jordan is the love of my life. I would study all of his... I just had to revisit this. I still have, like, all my jerseys and stuff, but I was a point guard. They're probably worth a lot of money now. Yeah, I know. I actually did look that up, and they are. <laughs> you need to fund your next project. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> How much do you love Exactly. I have all, yeah, I kept everything. So Okay, so we're back at work away. Yeah, and this was, and so I found, so, yeah, I, I, I make my mind up. And so I first start domestically, I, I still have not, um, research if they're still operating with the status of this, but I found this couple, a Middle East couple who was in Germany and then got back from Germany. They lived in on Anderson Island in, in, in Washington, outside of Seattle, and they fell in love with the wine there. And I actually just realized this um, a couple, uh, two years ago, but and this is a point I'm about to say in regards to like my own trajectory is that they um, and excuse my pronunciation, but it's there's they they had a they were working with a hybrid grape, a German a German hybrid grape called Regent, and I now specifically Regent, yeah, and I specifically now work you know Vermont with hybrids. So the first varietals that I learned how to prune were hybrids. I never knew who would have thought at that point in time like that would lead to like what actually, because I've never made a wine out of vinifera. So uh, everything, on my, all of my training now I realize is from hybrids, <laughs> besides when I was in France, so I'll go into that, but yeah. Yeah, just to peel right back, peel off of this for a second, we'll go back to the story, but just, you know, for people who might not know, what is the difference between a vinifera and a hybrid? So hybrids, particular hybrids that I work with in Vermont are predominantly French-American hybrids. And so... University of Minnesota, Cornell, 
I'm going to butcher the years, but I believe about 30, 40 years ago, um, in the nursery did seed crossing between um, native varietals for vernifera riparia and lambrusca, and they crossed it with varietals that people understand as French varietals, such as uh, uh, Pinot, mm-hmm. for example. And the whole, the goal is to to with these crossings, which happens in nature every day. But typically with these crossings, it takes it could take up hundreds of years. Same thing with apples. An apple, there's nothing the apple's not pure. It's all from seeds crossings. And but it happens naturally out of nature. But basically all they're doing is expediting the process of the seeds crossing themselves and making a varietal that one can sustain itself from a farm from from a farm as a living thing in the soil. And then on the profile taste what we what we know, what we feel is a wine grape. Um, and so they're crossing something that from a, that tastes like a Pinot, but it can grow. So there's a varietal called Marquette, for example, which I believe is the grandchild of Pinot. Um, Jan- Janice Robinson has a whole book about that breaks down every, every grape that you could think of in the world. There's a book that breaks this all down. Um, the crossing, so even the genetic breakdown of Marquette, for example, but it's a grandson, so it tastes, so it acts like, and tastes like very familiar to what we know as Pinot, but its genetics are also mixed with native grapes. So that's why we're able to we are able to grow grapes in Vermont without worrying about frost frost or a lot of issues. That people worry about how do you how do they survive the winter? Well, they're genetically for thousands and thousands of years, their genetics are built to grow there and thrive in Vermont and on the East Coast. Awesome. Does that make sense? Yeah. No. Okay. I mean, I I'm I've drank the hybrid Kool-Aid. I'm, yeah. I'm into it. <laughs> okay, so back for working with it. And, and just so I'm clear, are you still at Constellations at this point no, or no. you already left? I already, uh, I, so I left. I, was, I just left and then immediately that's when I went on work, went online. Like, how can I, like, what do people do when they want to learn but they don't have money? <laughs> and how's it, how do you make that work? And so, um, so yeah, so I learned that, I learned how to prune there. My only job there was literally pruning. And pruning is uh, what stage in the winemaking process? Pruning, I believe, is everything's the most important thing. Uh, pruning sets you up basically for that that not only for that upcoming year, so the way that you cut the old cuttings, basically the vine. The rear prior after harvest, the the vine produces fruit, and then those vines. So now it depends on like you were doing VSP or high cordon and whatever you're how the vine is structured. You have to get remove old wood that year's yeah. wood for new root, new wood to grow with new buds. And so those those cuts that you make one set the tone for that up that upcoming year's harvest harvest. But because vines regenerate every three to four years, those cuts you make also you're making decisions for the future too. Um, I, and I believe it's the most important stage from a viticulture, viticulture perspective. It's the most important important stage of farming. Pruning is important. Yes. Pruning is important. Um, because any any choice that you make that in that cut, that one cut, affects you right now and then affects you forever. I mean, for, actually, ostensibly for four years, but then also still continuing on. 
Yeah, and this is like where part of I think the talent of winemaking comes in is right. you know having that foresight right. of what and looking forward and and seeing what those vines are going to be. Right, because you have to make some decisions. Like that means you're going to cut something down that you're you're only going to get that. Since you make that, I'm going to make a decision for the 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 health of a plant as opposed to the health of uh, the financial gain of that else it's a product that comes out. Um, and if you know, I truly believe that wine is farming, so that means that we have to make, you know, decisions that will financially affect it, but we're putting the vine first and not thus putting quality of what we're creating first. And, it, you know, everyone makes those choices, but I think it's the most important choice yeah. in pruning. Yeah. I mean, the farming aspect of it is so so beautiful to me to hear people talk about, you know, the process and also some of the most fascinating. But, okay, so you're 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 at this work away. I don't really think at that time, I'm like, I understand the context. I didn't understand how important pruning was. Like, yeah. they should, probably should not have had me out there pruning. <laughs> I, I, I've, well, very particular who I let, let prune, um, you know, I, for at least for the last, I'm not out there. Anymore actively because the way that, well, I'm sure we're going to get into the way Zolfa's Zolfa evolved. Like I had to make choices in my role, and uh, I the people that I choose to prune is probably the most important thing to do. Anyway, what I'm why I'm bringing that up is because I they let someone who had zero experience out there pruning. So Lord knows the damage that I done. Now it's six years. No, that's eight years. Am I allowed to cuss on this? Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, uh, I will. Um, so I should probably check it, check it on them and that, but I can make up for it right now. <laughs> so yeah, so I'm pruning. They're out of business. I did not know. Who, yeah, exactly. <laughs> after the, after 2015, the 2000, that was 2015 that I was out there. Yeah, uh, seven years now. So oh, my my errors could be corrected by now. But yeah, so that happens, and I'm like, I'm like, fuck, this is this is so cool. And then I then lined up um, my. A trip to Italy and France, and that led me the most the most important part of that journey because um, I felt like no one told me this. I didn't have um, anyone telling me what to do. I don't know any family that has a background in wine, and so I just you know of course I think what a lot of us do. We look over to Italy and France to I mean like if I learn anything over there, that's what I'm gonna learn. So um, it led me to Caor, um, demanded. The domain de la Danette, and I'm pronouncing that wrong, so I'm excuse, I'm not excuse my pronunciation. But uh, Philippe, who took over his father's domain in 1984, made a decision to convert it to organic farming, which in that region in 1984 uh, was unheard of. And by 1996, he was zero zero, and he didn't speak English, and I didn't speak French, and I had a Duke's. I I redesign their website for them um and i had to like that everything in french i had translated so i learned all this through actually having to redesign their website and i did that as a gift for them because he was like barely he we weren't seeing him out in the vineyard he was um driving up all the way up to northern france to sell his product because it's not popular at that time to be making organic wine in Kaur. Yeah, and what it what is I mean zero zero just so people understand it. I mean it's a terminology you'll you'll probably see um, or hear in the natural wine world, and you know we we are talking about natural wines often here. I'm explaining. So when I say zero zero, that means, um, and this is my definition. I am not the 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 definition maker of anything with natural wine, mm-hmm. but all sensibly is that in your in the vineyard you're farming 
with regenerative organic or biodynamic practices. So zero stands for zero chemical synthetic, synthetic chemicals. And the seller, you're doing the same thing. You're just, as my my slogan is just fucking fermented juice. <laughs> so it's literally just grapes that are fermented and there's nothing added, nothing taken away. Yeah, it's crazy how something so simple is so complicated to it's, get right. <laughs> we still like that's why I had to put a disclaimer because I'm not going to go down on this podcast yeah. as saying I'm making the right like no, the, the definition yeah. of it. There, there is sensitive no. top like, but I, I think right, that right. we're agree upon at least that the bare minimum. That's what we define as zero zero. Yes, I would agree with. And that. I didn't really even understand. It's, what is so interesting is that I prior to even. Prior to when I was working at Constitution Brand, so even going back before I landed in and and when I was in France working with Philippe, that I was drinking what the term natural wine at in the Bay Area, and I didn't know what I was. I was just so curious, and so I was just no one knew I was I was hanging out at these wine bars, and no one knew I worked at Constitution Brands, which is just the irony of it because I'm working at everything that is anti that. And, and I think that's a beautiful thing, too, because you never know what people are like when people are now people you know, listen to the podcast describing natural wine. I think we need to be compassionate in people's journey to that because I was working on people knew I was working on constitution brands where they have treated me the way other than this curious person. But I was actually working in something that's anti everything that I was participating in. I was drinking all these wines and really I didn't matter about the producer at that point in time. Because those things matter, and the people behind wine matter, but but it was just I was just so I never tasted anything like it before. But I, why I'm bringing this up is that I was drinking, well, you know, some of the, what now known as the most popular wine bar in the country, and having my palate trained by these people who run these wine bars because just this innocent person like nagging them, and and that and there, that phrase natural wine was not being used and when I was drinking it and then realized what led me what I was doing in France in France was exactly that and it wasn't until I was had came back to America I'm like oh this is what this is yeah I mean I remember buying you know naturally made wines you know 10 15 years ago and and we just called it good wine right you know right, what I mean right, like, natural right. wine has just become this kind of like coin phrase like that's like it has a movement and i love it yeah, it's, absolutely. It's, it's a double edged sword though absolutely. i mean it, it's also got so I, convoluted there is ignorance is bliss sometimes yeah <laughs> uh, truly and it and i'm happy that that's the the time before where we're at right now which i'm you know, the core of natural wine is rooted in something really beautiful, despite the politics of it. And so um, I'm just happy that I had my experience was pure in that way, that I did it. It was truly just driven by me falling in love with these wines, that's then eventually falling in love with these producers, and just having something that really never tasted before, and just wanting more and more and more of it. More of it. Yeah. Make more of it. Okay, so from so you're in France. So then I'm like, I'm done. I'm like, so now I okay, now you're, I get the whole picture together, and I'm like, so I made a decision. I just don't want to be a winemaker. I want to be a grower too. Okay. So I then to make plan my way back to um, California, back home. Um, I arrive a couple weeks before my birthday, this 2015. Um, I was in a relationship at the time. Um, Everything was all fine, hunky dory. And I'm plotting, I'm like, I'm just going to go on vacation in January, and then I'm going to be looking for another local, my local in America, domestic uh, workaway situation, but with the intent of when I'm searching for it, but the opportunity to have get a job. Um, but I knew that, because I, like, I already have like, constitution brands in my time in Italy and France, 
I like my I feel like I'm stacked. And at the very least, I could be an assistant winemaker, assistant grower to someone. And um, but I knew that my end goal is to have access to have my own property, have my own land. And I'm like, that's never going to happen in California. So I'm specifically looking and everywhere but <laughs> California. Um, so as my mind's waiting up. I then fast forward, I go through a, a heartbreaking breakup and then. I'm like depressed for like that. Like I'm not. I'm fine. Like I'm. I mean, that, I'm not joking. Cause oh, I actually okay, deal. With, okay. I literally do deal with the. I'm not. I'm over it now. But like, but by like, I was like, what was me? Um, I mean, thank God this breakup happened though, because I wouldn't be sitting here with you right now. I mean, great things come from yeah. um, turmoil and, and, <laughs> and heartbreak. And you know, so the breakup happens in end of January, and then. Um, March, yeah, because this was the first. There's a wine fair that was happening in in Oakland, and producers were there in town. And the wine bar bar that I used to hang out with, all the producers were come to this to this location. And so, from October, when I arrived back from France to that point in time, I'm like like researching. So I'm like, who are the people like the person that I was working with? And, you know, in France and America, who represents farming, who's doing zero, zero. And at the time, I, there was only, like, there's one hand that you could identify. And this is 2015. Like, you know, uh, that's not in California, too. Right. So, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, not, and, um, and then one of the people who I already knew who they were because of my own research, Deirdre uh, Lagardista, was at this at that the inaugural this wine fair was at this uh, the wine bar too, uh, and I was not going to go there because I was like, "What was me?" Because I like got notification that my ex was like, we "We had a trip that day. That was the day that I went to the, the, this event. We were supposed to be in LA together for something." And I was like, "I'm just going to stay in bed all day," and then I was like, "You know what? Fuck it. I have nothing to lose <laughs> because my heart is broken." And then like I'm just going to give my all, and so I. So that's when I introduced myself to Deirdre, and basically everything that I'm telling you to this point, but all the other details we're talking for like hours, and. I asked if I could opportunity to come work, and we we bond and connect. And had you had ever been to Vermont? Or no, like, no. I was Vermont I have, on your radar. Just or? from Ben and Jerry's. I love Chunky Monkey. Okay, yeah. So my context of Vermont is just Ben and Jerry's. At the time, it was just Ben and Jerry's <laughs> ice cream. But what I saw was an opportunity to learn from someone, and they were on my short list. And it was not California. And so we like dab, dab, dab. Like she's gonna reach out to me because um, this is barely. You know, uh, March. So mm-hmm. harvest um, and that particular vintage uh, harvest doesn't start in Vermont until the uh, now it's we're two weeks ahead, but end of uh, end of August, okay. uh, early September. So there was time, but I like had a plan. Like I needed to plan on my whole life. Like not whole, like my whole year. Because you're living in California. Because I live in California, and like I know that, and like I had the, the and you're understanding. living with this person, and you had to. Like, so we like yeah, we did my ex partner. We broke up, and then I got my own apartment. We and then she stayed in the apartment. I got my own apartment, but we're still cool. But then, like, we're not. We, yeah, we weren't. We were so amicable at that time. Um, and so it is funny. She did say, like, she's like, you're gonna have you have more important things to do, and like, not than this relationship. And she was apparently was right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> by the time, you're, no, no, I want to be with you. Um, so okay, then, then like, so I'm like, okay, I'm set. 
and I never get an email. I follow up. I follow up with her, and I never email back. And so I'm like, I need to make a plan B, because I know that harvest is starting. I, so because California is first, but then all those states, Texas is a little bit now. No, before that, but like I was like getting anxious. That I don't line something up that I'm not going to have. My I was hell bent. I'm going to be get a job somewhere. Period. So. I'm not going to, like, harass her and keep on hitting her up. And she reached out to me, and she will, with not, not. So I went back on work away, and then I found um, Dan McLaughlin of uh, Robert Clay Vineyards. And he had, him and his wife, had just reclaimed 10 acres in, um, outside in Hill Country in, in Texas. Okay. And um, I was like, at the very least, because Harvest there starts in July— if Deirdre does get back to me, I still could be able to go there, but I'm, I'm gonna. I have to line something up. So that worked out. Did my harvest in Texas. Me and Dan bonded and connected, and that actually I got a job offer from a neighboring winery because Dan wasn't set up, wasn't making wine at that time. He was just doing the viticulture side, which was perfect because that I was alert. Just like selling but he grapes. had no experience in wine, wine, making wine, but he was just selling. Just selling he, yeah, he okay. was res- like this vineyard was abandoned. I've gone many years, but they spent their whole time and like he was more wanting to do. They uprooted their whole life, their whole lifestyle, you know, to go from once, you know. T- type of living to go from farming. And so, and we connect in that way. Clearly we're going through, we're, we're meeting each other at a time that we're all doing changes and, you know, making choices and what we want to do and pursuing our dreams. So there was a bond there. Got his friend own a winery in town. And I, you know, I, I'm very clear about my intention. Every person I was interacting with during this whole journey, I was pretty explicitly clear, like, this is my end goal. And you're a part of that journey. End goal being a winemaker. Yeah, like, I want to be a winemaker and I want to have my own land. And, like, I am not, whatever I do, basically I'm saying I'm not committing to you long term. I'm committing for me to learn and grow until I'm ready to do this on my own. Mm-hmm. And um, and so supportive of that. And so, like, okay, I locked the job in. So you're not sticking around. You were telling people that. Yeah, I'm not sticking around long term. Yeah. Like, this is not, I'm not building a career with you. Right. I'm utilizing you as someone that I can learn from. I'm very, I played sports my whole life. I see myself as very coachable. I do best when I'm able to be in a position. When I have my mind made up to do something, all I need, there's nothing hard, one of my favorite quotes, nothing harder in life than given a chance. So I've set myself up to be given a chance. And then when I, and then I don't take, and I take full advantage of that. And so I know what my end goal was. I never would have thought that it would, happen so quickly in the bigger in like the bigger picture but so I was, so Dan knew what my ultimate goal was and so I he connected me with his wineries in town his friends are I get the job offer the same time Deirdre gets back to me she's like harvest starts here we're ready we're gonna take you you yes we're gonna take you in I was like fuck awesome and he and so Dan's like why would you why are you going to leave? I just, you you said this was your goal to get a job somewhere in this journey. You just got a job. Why go? I'm like, well, because I'm curious. And like, and also, do you know who she is? And like, and he didn't understand, like, and he, you know, his mind, you know, I haven't talked to Dan in a couple of years now, but at the point in time, um, his views on organic farming and versus conventional farming and, 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 were different than they are now and mostly rooted in financial aspects because there's a risk and especially in Texas no one's farming that way now sure. you know Regan from South Hole is there right now too and he's mm-hmm. proved what he was doing on the East Coast but it's a, a financial risk and that's a lot you know a lot of people's actions are out of fear um, I, you know, he, I know that Dan's on the other side of that now per my influence but 
Um, at the time, he didn't. And so when I said, do you know who this person is in the context, what I meant by that is like this person is doing the way that they're farming, their philosophy of winemaking is everything that you're learning from books. And like, I think this is phenomenal. And there's very few people in this country that are farming in this way and farming and making wine in this way. And it's delicious, too. So she was a really impressive winemaker to you. Right. She, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, she was doing something that was told that cannot be done, particularly also in Vermont, even from her own community at that time. Mm-hmm. She, um, and um, so Dan's like, okay, I get it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to follow you out there. He's like, I, I need, like, if you're, all you're saying is true is true. I need to see this in person too. So he literally follows me out there. Um, and with consent, of course, mm-hmm. from Deirdre and Caleb, and uh, to do a harvest with to you? do harvest with me, because okay. he's like, if you're so willing to like not, you Stay literally here. here here's everything you said you wanted, and you're still, you know, still going to take this on. And because I told him I was going to come back, I'm just going to do this harvest there. I never, I didn't think she was going to, I was going to end up, but I didn't think I was getting a job. It was just as a stodging. I was just stodging yeah. for that summer. And I'm like, I'm going to do that, and I'll come back. But I'm, I have things to learn here that I feel that I can learn from her to apply back here. And and I think that he realized that he wanted to see it in person. And lo and behold, mm-hmm. he did. He didn't understand how like there's not being sulfur added to certain things. He didn't understand. He was just. And Dan is a very curious person too. I think one of the best aspects of him, probably because I see myself in that. Mm-hmm. And he was willing to have his mind changed about certain things. And then, and he, when before he left, he's like, you're not coming back to Texas. Because <laughs> he knew, because he got proven, like, he was, you know, he understood. He drank the Kool-Aid as well. And lo and behold, at the end of that season, right before, it was right before Raw of 2015. In New York? Uh, or? In New York, yeah. So, because I ended up pouring at Raw with Lagardista. Raw is like a big wine, natural wine. Natural wine festival. fair, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I and the current employee that she had that they could afford to have on staff was leaving, and that person coincidentally was the person who helped me find my own my first housing. I moved to Vermont because I when I first moved to Vermont, well, ultimately moved to Vermont, but they were phasing out and going to a different career path. And and Deirdre's like, well, now there's an opening, and we would love to have you. And she's like, what do you think about that? And I I was like, and I played it cool. So I, in my head, I was like. Fuck yes, <laughs> this is my dream come true. I was like, I need to think about it, and because also because I was very transparent. She, the biggest concern was like Dan, is that I like Dan, even though I was going, so I was me helping learn. Can you work with Dan in the vineyard while getting this job? And then I was like, I'll talk to Dan, and then what she didn't know, which I at the time what I was going through my mind is like, I'm just going to do both. I'm going to treat Texas as Southern Hemisphere. And Vermont as Northern Hemisphere, I'm going to do both of them. I don't. Have, I shouldn't have to sacrifice it. That's at least what I thought at that time. And so, but I'm just not going to be at Texas full time. I'm going to be in Vermont full time. So I, the next day, I accepted the job, poured at Raw, flew, and then purposely took the train. Poured her the wines at Raw. Yeah, I yeah. represented Lagarde. You said what, Deirdre, at the table at Raw, and that's when it was like, this is real. This is like, and especially especially during that time, I haven't been in Raw in a couple of years few years but like it was insane it's like holy shit what the hell what is going on here in regards to like this is like the energy around in regards to natural wine and wine and wine. isabel has a lot you know i credit needs to go to isabel in regards to the culture she's created and the fanfare around this because raw like was the thing to go to you know 100%. um so then i you know i then i took a train took my came home the long way 
back to California and then spent Thanksgiving with my family. Then I, at the time, I had family in uh, uh, Pennsylvania. They're now in Quincy, and they're now in Texas now. My uncle, my dad's brother, and then some Christmas there. And then I arrived in Vermont Christmas, the day after Christmas. And then um, as hired on as uh, Deirdre's assistant. Did the state of Vermont call to you more than Texas, too? Or was it just the, the opportunity to work for Deirdre? No, I think actually, anyone in hindsight, Texas is more my vibe. Um, Vermont is just, um, no, Vermont, it was the opportunity. Okay. I, I didn't choose Vermont. I, I, um, and I, I honestly would say this yeah, right yeah, now. Why if I, Vermont? If I wasn't doing what I'm doing right now in Vermont, I have no business living in Vermont. And I truly feel that way as a black woman in America, to be completely honest. Okay. Yeah, I have yeah. no, I have, I, I mean, Vermont it's a liberal is, state. It's neoliberal, a liberal in many okay, ways. And I, I have my, and I think that um, uh, liberals in America, and they're, when you're not exposed to um, people in your day to day life, your books are not going to get you through, like, we're not, not acknowledging that, like, whatever you read or a movie you watch or you vote for does not absolve you from microaggressions and not understanding things. And there's a lot of ego involved that because you, you think you're woke when you're talking to another person that you never experienced, you're going to make mistakes, and it's okay to make mistakes, but, um, I, yeah, Vermont is the goes back and forth. It's the second one I stayed in the union, so right. being despite voting habits and one's intentions, it, I, I think, understandably so, it's going to be hard for a state of white people to understand what it is to interact with black people when you don't have any experience doing so. But you just have to show grace and be okay with the fact that you're going to make mistakes. It's the problem that, in my opinion... People, particularly neoliberals, liberals don't want to submit. They think that everything is means that you're racist when you're being called out for something. Yeah, that's and very there's a difference nuanced. between being racist and being anti-racist. So we want people to be anti-racist, right? And there's a difference. Yeah, it's very heavy and it's very yeah. nu- nuanced. And I could see how that could be an issue there. Um, and that's maybe um, why the question why Vermont comes up exactly. Uh, no, of course that's been in like you know I don't think there's I've never had a conversation people that people ask that question. But also you have to understand that like. This is all, as I'm telling the story, and I hope people understand, like, I chose Vermont because I was looking for an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I took a path that I had a goal, mm-hmm. I had a vision and a goal. And if that would have led to Milwaukee, I would have been in Milwaukee, meaning it's not about, it's not me choosing Vermont because it's Vermont, it's me choosing the path that's going to lead to me to accomplish my vision and my goal. And right. that's why I'm in Vermont. And if it would have been Bakersfield, California, it would have been, uh, you know, Austin, you know, like, like, you know, it would have, Texas, if Texas would have made more sense in the end, I would have chose that too. But I'm, at the end of the day, I'm an ambitious person. I had a vision, I had a goal that I made very clear from the get-go. And I made decisions, which I clearly made the right decisions to be where I'm at right now. But it was just, so Vermont, that's actually, I want to make that very clear. It's, Vermont was not appealing. The opportunity to learn for who I felt was someone that I could learn a lot from and grow from, and a location and a part of a country that I eventually could afford to eventually have my own land. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of winemakers out there, you know, especially in California, that own their own land, and you're, like, what, the 18th? Mm-hmm. Uh, black farmer out of seven thousand farms, exactly. To and then the state, and then this country, were a little below one percent. Yikes! We went from fourteen percent. Yeah, that's a whole different. We could go yeah, on, no, but like, I, so people, yeah. I'm, I'm a winemaker, but this people didn't understand my vision for this is bigger than, than this winemaking. As I am a, we have to remember, I'm a black 
farmer, black woman, queer farmer in this country, and I don't have anyone to, very few people to look up to in that perspective, and that shouldn't be that way. So this is often bigger than me. And then, and do and you feel like a role model? I mean, I don't. I I have been told I am. I I think it's very dangerous to put anyone on the pedestal sure. because you're just Even setting Michael up, Jordan. You're setting. Yeah, exactly. Well, now <laughs> I've humanized him. Now at this point in time, but I, I think it's dehumanizing to put anyone on a pedestal because all you're setting them up for failure in regards to expectations, and we're all flawed, and we're all. Uh, uh, problematic and we all make mistakes and when fortunately you put someone on the pedestal then they're no longer allowed to be human and and by human means having opportunity to make mistakes and take accountability but when um, you already put someone up that they're with the idea that they cannot do any wrong you're going to get hurt <laughs> and then you know and that person's not humanized anymore so I I I think that people clearly, you know, I've been so blessed to have a lot of attention around in regards to my journey and my story that I'm going to makings off of because I represent a demographic of people who have not, that we have not seen, but we, that's the thing is not seen. There are a lot of people who look like me, who share my a cross-section of my identities that have, have been doing the work, have been, do the work still right now, who, who, who you know, in many ways are even more involved in the ways, like I'm a creative person that so happened to uh, create a business that got a lot of attention, but I have had no experience in regards to managing people and running financial acumen, just what it takes to run a business. And suddenly I have this sought after business and I have a demand that I can't keep up with. And, um, and I made, and I'm, happy to say like because I'm a human being made a lot of mistakes along the way but I didn't and, and grew a lot and there are a lot of people who 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 already out who are out there I mean I got them at the same attention I do are doing really good things and had you know have possibly run business acumen and other acumen that I that and did a different path because they had to work a little before you know for the opportunity opportunity to to do something they had to work a little more, not harder, but they had they they were just left to dealing with that as opposed to being thrown into a situation that is not normal. Being well known and being in magazines is not normal. Right. <laughs> when I'm just doing my job, I never could have predicted this that that I would be. You know, uh, all the magazines I've been with, even in Sinner Heritage this podcast, is still something that's just at a very pure intention. It was just out of curiosity, and then um, I just happened to. I think I fit a certain formula for uh, just media in general, um, and that my talents have been seen have been considered secondary, other than beyond me just fitting a formula. And it's unfortunate, but I'm very self aware of that. It's like I and, and and then also I I could you know take I'm proud of myself too, like knowing when to say no, knowing when to say yes. So me having ambition, me having talent, match with this formula that I have no control over put me in this role when there's a lot of people who are very worthy of being in the same position I am. I am. 
No, I mean, and that's that's something that's very interesting about your story is, you know, you it is, I feel like, a blessing and a curse, and you right. were kind of thrown into the limelight very early on in your career. Um, I only had one vintage before I was named as top 40 yeah, winemakers in this country. And that's why we can't get our wine. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what. And then perpetuates this whole ner- other narrative that people don't see behind closed doors what's really going on there. Like, of course you're not going to have access to my wine if I'm only, you know, like, if I'm only producing this amount, but also I'm farming all these like I if you actually want to know the truth about something this it's not that wild of a thing it's actually the math adds up I before you know before COVID hit I had a wine club so it was already and then like I was able to capitalize on direct to commercial like I would duck direct customer I made a business decision that fuck there's this demand I don't need to go through wholesale you know, I could sell literally everything directly, and I proved that to myself. So why wouldn't? And like, and I'm like, well, if someone said you didn't taste my wine, well, you just weren't quick enough to buy it online. But the wine was there. Like, I just, <laughs> I just had a high demand, and but my name was consistently out there, out there, out there, out there. And I, I'm so blessed and lucky. It just it became very overwhelming, and it still is overwhelming. Am I being honest? Yeah. No, I, I get it. I get it. I mean, and sometimes just you know. T- uh, timing a lot, you know, aligns. I, you know, not to speak too much about v- Vinovore, but I had the idea to open a, a wine shop and we're the first wine shop to only focus on female winemakers. Right. And that was before Me Too. Right. But like right before Me Too. Right. So it was like super fortuitous that right. all of a sudden, you know, like, oh, we care about women. Like women are trending. Right. Like, you know, but that's it's ridiculous. Clearly it's not yeah. what you're like. And, no, and I that's, just a, that's wanted... a narrative someone could create for you. Oh, she's yeah. just capitalizing no, on that. So like, no, exactly. I wanted to support other women in business because let's be honest, right. Ryan's a business. It's Absolutely. a multi-billion dollar what, business. All set of our, you know, all of our altruistic, all the things we want to do good within our intentions. At the end of the day, we all have bills to pay and we're in a mm-hmm. business right now. Yeah. I think people need to be honest with themselves and also acknowledge that the other decisions people make is mm-hmm. this is this is a business. Yeah. And it is a you business. You know, you want people to sacrifice there's people there's a lot of work that makes a bottle of wine and people Timeless. across the board need to be comp- like properly recognized and, and, and compensated for that. And that also means a producer. So this idea that you think that also being part of um making especially a genre a sector of wine that is supposed to be like we're the bad boys and rebellious ones of a convention all that doesn't also necessarily mean that producers and, and people who shouldn't be paid that being successful means that you're a sellout because also what actually what that means is that you're just not probably just paying people responsibly yeah yeah you're not paying <laughs> or your, yourself your, and then first of all you're adding one yeah. of 70 legal additives that you can exactly. put in wine exactly and cutting corners exactly yeah no, it's 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 an interesting um, rabbit hole, the wine business and yeah. and natural wine. Again, so trendy, so so great that it's having this moment and this voice, but at the same time, you know, it's you know, your wines are probably never going to be in Ralph's. You know, like right, exactly. you can't make enough of it and still right. respect nature right. and um, have these like kind of and. You know, mass-produced wines, and and again, wine has this romantic quality to it. But if people saw like factory wines and how like right. unromantic it is, and probably back to when you were at Constellation, like how they're you know these machines, Absolutely. and and then if they also understood the blood, sweat, and tears that goes into a farmer like yourself, that is really out there doing everything. That's why I think it was just so crazy. Is like I was like, 
had asked was like, what what is going to be needed here to appease this very um, this conversation around that no one could get that there's everyone's talking about Christmas wine, they'll get their hand on it. I but you will also people want to acknowledge that I am farming, and so I'm was you know at the point in time leasing four vineyards. And each of them range from like from three to one acre. So, you, and I'm only one person. And then I then eventually by 2018 was the first time I had, um, actually 2017 and 2018 uh, interns, and then finally didn't have a full team in 2019. And so, people also want to believe that I'm in this cellar. I am farming all these parcels by myself, and then and but have to be doing at least. You know, I was 30, 30, 30 acres to well, f- fulfill this perceived amount of wine that people think I should be making. It's like you're contradicting. Like there's this like we want to have we love this idea that Chris is farming and she's doing all these things that are right. But we don't understand why she's not making enough wine and that her wine or that she's like this is all just a oh, hype that there's no the wine doesn't really exist at all. <laughs> and it's like so which one is it? Am I honestly superwoman that I'm somehow running a business making wine and I'm working basically from sunup to sundown. Um, you have to be both. And that also this wine doesn't exist at all. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, just, just to go back really quickly. So when, I just want to know like that one point when you ended up leaving, um, you know, Deirdre and starting, you know, and then I just want to touch also on like, you yeah, know, like basically like, three three different projects so i so i had that first yeah first year so that's 2016 going into 2017 and that 2017 was my first true official vintage which was uh texas uh ruby cab uh ruby cab that i made and jenny um jenny francois she was the only one who got the whole production that went to New York okay. in 2000. I think she finally got her hands on it. She's a, a distributor, distributor in New York. Yeah. yeah. Um, she got it in 2019. So that was literally my first venture. So I did I did everything I planned. Did Harvest in Texas and then wrapped up har- Harvest, put my wine to sleep, and then dropped, came over to Vermont and did my first, as an employee, first Harvest with Deirdre. And then um, at the, towards that, win- that winter... Uh, word got around there was a couple that was uh, going to be reclaiming um, a vi- another abandoned vineyard, a larger one, one of the original vineyards. By, by the way, vineyards, the oldest vineyard in Vermont, I think is 25 years old. So this one was one of the OGs, so it's something 20-something years old. And um, by the time I already, they reached out to me, and then by the time I, I, I like told Caleb and Deirdre like, this opportunity presented itself, they already knew, and they vouch for me so like I said and they already knew this was my I didn't think I thought I was going to be working with Deirdre probably for five years I did not know that things could be that this opportunity for me to be a vineyard manager somewhere else is going to come up but at that time they supported it and so they supported it yeah yeah so the agreement was I would round out that year and um it and this conversation was and I and then my uh girlfriend um a new commit, girlfriend at the time. Uh, yeah, so I started a relationship uh, with who someone is now um, Deirdre Sessa Winemaker. Ah. We had um, she had worked in Australia and um, in Italy while we were dating. 
And um, while this was all bubbling, we, we, we had broken up and we still, but we had made the decision as we broke up, we're still going to live together. And I had said to Deirdre that now that I'm leaving, I think Camilla would be the perfect person. Um, and then, so we already had a plan that Camilla was going to be, take over my role. I'm going to go to Allison Estate Vineyard, which is the, the, the name of the name, and then everything's going to be. So, like, by my last day of work at Lagaragista was that February, 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 and then I started my vineyard, managing this vineyard, and, and, and this was, um, this vineyard had been abandoned for over six years, and um, I saw this as the way that I get to, like, prove something to myself and take on, you know, I said to myself, I feel I'm worthy of having this position to be, and, like, for the work that I'd done and, like, even, like, and everything I soaked up from Deirdre and that, and that first year. And I, like, wanted this challenge and that I was going to, one, we're going to have a, I was, this going to be my, my first real vintage that I'm farming and I'm playing everything I learned. And um, while that's all, so that's, I start that job. And I, before I left Lagaragista, I made my first Vermont wines. And I was going to be taking over, there was a vineyard that we found, a band of vineyard that I was thought I was going to be, I was going to get fruit from that. When I went to Texas, that vineyard got uh, destroyed by uh, powdery and downy mildew. And, um, we and I returned back from Texas. Me, Deirdre, her husband Caleb, and our co my coworker at the time were in the car, about to go out to dinner, and we get in a major in a car accident. Mm. And why I'm bringing that up is that that car accident led to uh, Deirdre, their lawyer that they acquired for the the accident that happened, and they had this uh, this whole orchard of apples and pears. And she called me. She's like, "You're going to make." you know, cider this year because I, I otherwise because I had nothing I could work with because I lost that vineyard, the fruit. Mm-hmm. And then she allowed me to taste, take um, to harvest. There we there was, um we were harvesting one of the vineyards and we, the staff couldn't, the team couldn't do both vineyards. So the, I decided to, with me and another, and there was an intern that we had to go take over this other vineyard and I asked, and she allowed me to take some of that fruit because I, we had its divide and conquer. So that was the crescent and then that Crescent, that opportunity led to me, which ended up making Jungle Fever's lead into like, which I'll go into like the Bon Appetit article, which was, you know, huge for me. Right. right so up. that 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 situation led to that, and then with the apples and the pears, um, like I had saw, like so Deirdre prior to that would do um, not juice to juice fermentations. Um, she did was doing fermenting grape skins on cider. And what she'd already done. And then um, she did do, there was a fermentation of Brianna. I don't know what they call it now. I think it's flesh of the bone. And that the there were bees inside the juice when it was fermenting. And the fermentation went from, in a span of five, like five, six hours, the bricks went from 12 to one point something. So it got dry super quickly. And it's, yes. And and we were not prepared to bottle. And so she used cider to get the sugar back up. And then we just ended up bottling it throughout the night. So I'm like taking note of all these things. And so when with the little fruit that I did have from that vent like what I did have from the La Crescent and then these apples, I'm like, I'm really just wanted and curious about doing juice to juice fermentations <laughs> with cider and apple also is all I have. And then I did the one single uh, grape uh, varietal of uh, jungle fever. 
Um, well, I bring this up because then as I leave to go um, work at work at Ellison Estate, the that same wine festival that me and Deirdre really uh, met at, the 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 people who run that festival caught one that I was making wine, and they said that do you think Krista is like ready for a wine support, and she's a part of that. So we were side by side at that wine festival for that 2000, um, that's 2017 when we poured, poured, no, 2018. Yes, 2018. Um, and then that is the first time people taste my wines. I don't even think, I didn't really, like, I'm pouring besides Deirdre. I'm still, like, I don't think people even realize what I'm doing. I don't, I don't think I understood, like, because I was using social media so much during my whole journey. And then I had a line out the door. And then all I know is, like, the of Chronicle did a piece right after that wine fair. And then top, then the wine enthusiasts happen. And then... It's like the, snowball effect. And then the most important thing I think that happened at that, I don't think I do know, is that... The night before the festival, uh, there's a pre-party, and the person who runs the festival asks to taste my wine because they was just going off of like the vouching from Deirdre that my wines are ready, and um, I had Jungle Fever with me, and so he opens it, smells it, and then he calls someone from across the room, and this person that's across the room, you know, at that time was the wine editor Bon Appetit, Marissa Ross. We, I, I didn't know who she was. She didn't know who I was. She didn't even see me. So she tastes the wine without even seeing where I am. He's like, she's like, who the fuck made this? And then he points to me. And then we talk. And then she wants to, because she has this thing that she won't, she wouldn't write about a wine unless she tasted it three times. And so she had came to the wine festival, but there's such a line she couldn't taste it. And I was able to, and she was like, waved it off. I was like, hell no, like, I'm not an idiot. Like, when I realized who she was, I'm going to make sure you're going to taste my wines. <laughs> so we made sure she got a glass. And then, um, and then that eventually led to her pitching to Bon Appetit of like, her going out to Vermont. She actually fought for her. They first only did, it was only supposed to be a 400 word piece. And then she came out to Vermont for a week. Uh, she tasted my wine. That was then, then the fourth time she tasted my wine. And it was scary as all hell. Like, I still didn't know. Like, I didn't trust anyone. And I've never... Like, this is Bon Appetit. Like, my mom, you know, and... It's Bon Appetit. How, yeah, it's a Bon Appetit. And, like, and, I, and my mom, like, that's just my mom read. And then that came out that February 2019. And um, almost we don't know this, but that... I was the, I'm the first non-chef to have a profile written about them. Wow. Yeah, and the, and the history of that publication, and I, I think that. that that piece, you know, Marissa fought so hard to just let my words shine through, and um, that piece I think changed everything. Um, you know, like the first piece I read by me was by Rachel Signer for Vice, and then one of these did a couple of things, and Top Forty and Forty was huge and awesome, but the Bon Appetit piece I think changed everything, and then at that point in time, when the, by the time that was released, I left Ellison Estate, and then I had acquired leasing three vineyards that I was on my own. You did um, a, a wine splaining uh, uh, class for us a yeah. couple of years ago during the pandemic. Hughes um, Juan yeah. and Amy, and yep. yeah, and you actually at that point, and you know, listen, I'm not, you know, I mean, I know a bit about wine and I'm a sommelier and, and, and things like that but right. uh, when you described how wine could be 
you know, any, you know, fruit, flower, yes. vegetal. And, you know, you think of fruit wine. You think of, like, that gross strawberry wine that right. your weirdo uncle makes in his, like, basement. Or, you know, absolutely. something, like, yeah, so absolutely. sweet yes. and, like, something terrible, right? But that, like, really got my mind thinking back then. And then almost immediately I started seeing, like, them, right. like people were talking about it. And, right. you know, um, flower wines are becoming a thing or, right. or co-ferments of grape grape wine and right. flowers. Obviously, apples, right. uh, pears. Um, I just picked up a wine. I don't know if you know Chinoa from Ashanta Wines. Yes, yes, yes. She just did a pineapple guava apple wine. Right. That's, like, I saw that. Delicious. So curious about that. Yeah. So yummy. I'll get you a bottle if you want to try it. Um, but you know, and, and, but you were actually the first person, you know, and that also just goes to speak about wine in general. Like the more you learn, you know, there's just so much to learn about wine. Right. You think you know, but you don't know. Right. Um, but that actually like really got my gears turning and then literally right after that. And I do think that you are on the forefront of that kind Thank of you. forward thinking of, of co-fermenting different it, wine doesn't have to be grapes. I mean, right. now it's cool that Zafa will be your grape wine, which is your traditional. What, right. And it, it'll take a minute for yeah. people to really catch on. Right, but right, right. in the cities where, you know, L.A., New York, or, right. you know, the savvy people who are listening to this podcast, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're going to seek these things out. And that's out. purposely why, you know, I one on even with, no, actually with the cans I do put, least ingredients, but I purposely, even for this one, I don't even put that as apple grapes because, like, just experience it. What does it matter? Mm-hmm. What's what does it matter of the um, if it's if it's grapes, apples, peaches, pears, whatever, pineapples, whatever. As long as you're getting joy and pleasure out of it, those details should be secondary. It's all because if like we meet someone, you connect with them. You know, of course, you're going to find details that otherwise you could see as a possibly deter you before you get to know something but if you just allow yourself to connect with something and then you know of course you you do due diligence and you're what you know for different levels of layers of what that looks like but i think first you we need to fill first and then from there because you then you're losing out on like making decisions based off expectation and assumptions other than actually Mm -hmm. you pursuing something that brings you joy and happiness 100 percent. i mean there are people out here that would taste this wine and not know that it wasn't all it's irrelevant at the end of the day what i mean how the processing and and you know all the the, all Fermentation. The, 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 that, but but at the, like if the, the contents of it and what makes it should be relevant, yeah. and I think that for me it's just important to not lead with that because it allows people to not have assumptions of what they think is going what is going to be. Okay, well, I want to talk about um, the future of what you have going on, but also just you know really quickly, kind of want to touch on the past of your ba- your past year, um, yeah. what you've been up to, what's been going on. Yeah. I know there's been a little no. controversy and things like that. But. Yeah, this is like a um, you. I think what's publicly out right now that this is the be the the first time people have heard my voice, whether it be on. Uh, from a, a media perspective, um, in the last year and a half, I um, I have not. Um, I had a, a hard year. <laughs> yeah. well, I'm gonna be honest. I had a hard year. Um, I had uh, a year of reflection, um, a year of learning lessons, a year of understanding accountability. Uh, uh, so. 
yeah, I had a lot of, uh, uh, and, but at a year that basically paused my production for a year uh, due to um, some things in my business, me personally, and then my business had to navigate. And we've come to the other side of everything. Um, but in the interim of that, of navigating uh, issues that I personally and then my business had to navigate, we were unable uh, to do a production for an entire year. So um, until November of last year. Um, and so my my first release since 2020 will be coming out. Well, our release to our our release, excuse me, our release to my wine club members, but will be um, one of the can of wines you taste of the day will be hitting California. And so, um, in the in the aftermath of me navigating the you know one has taken a year also to, just to. Chill. My, my 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 life was not from 2000. As I started the story from 2016, even prior to that, when I was in concentrated brands, I literally had no opportunity to sit back and and um, understand what I accomplished. You know, I, at the end of the day, I you know I have there's 56 acres of land. I planted 2,000 vines, uh, 5,000 vines, uh, and when I get back home, we're planting watermelon, strawberries, sorghum. Um, putting in more vines. So I, my dreams came true with, with how the story started. I, But I um, made mistakes along the way and I had growing pains. Mm-hmm. And so um, now I now have, Zafa has a line of cans. Zafa has bottle wines that are great focus you talk about. We have land. And so now it's just having my head down and and getting going again. So getting through this, you know, past year with yeah. some controversy and, right. you know. There, I have no problem talking about their allegations of regards to my personal life yeah. of of mis- misconduct. And um, that trickled over into my business. There was nothing that happened at Zafa as a business. But uh, there are people in my personal life, my romantic life, that express uh, grievances about their experiences with me. And I I have my experience with those same people, and they have theirs, and and you know truth is somewhere in the middle always. But um, and unfortunately, this was handled in a way publicly, and there was some conflation in regards to me, my personal life, my business life. So my business was affected by it. Um, but at the end of the day, I am I'm in a I'm a despite my identities, despite uh, I'm still in a place of uh, a person of power. Uh, I have responsibility. I have employees, mm-hmm. and so um, there. Regardless of how I feel those experiences were, my and, and what my 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 narrative of those experiences versus theirs, at the end of the day, um, I'm still need to be mindful that I am a person that that has a place of power that I have, and I need to be. And then there's things that I can't take accountability for, which I'm grateful that despite. I don't agree with a lot of things that were said or that was attempted to be brought to light. I do um, take accountability of things that that I know that I did do that otherwise probably wouldn't have thought about had not things have happened the way that they did. So I um, I see everything that happened this last year as a blessing because it, it stopped my train for a second. And it gave me opportunity to actually to look at myself and my behaviors because at the end of the day, I'm in the position for that to happen for a reason, regardless of how I feel about what was true or not true. Um, and um, and 
I think that I'm looking forward to like answering, like continuing to have these conversations because I think it's my responsibility to, as a leader in this community and as a business owner, that I'm I'm a human and I'm flawed, but that doesn't mean that I'm not going to make mistakes and 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 I need to be willing to always have these conversations. So I'm not I I, um, I appreciate you bringing that up because I like I of course I'm not being. I'm, reason why I'm being invasive in the way that I'm answering it because I don't want this to turn into a she said, he said thing. And so the, but um, I think what needs doesn't need to be heard is that um, I'm willing to always have these conversations and I've taken accountability in the way that I feel that I needed to do and and from what I feel I needed to take accountability for. But um, I'm not going to be also um, uh, stopped in regards to me pursuing my dreams and living my life. And like, and that I could do that while also recognizing that I'm a, I'm a, I'm a leader and that I will always take accountability for what I need to do. Does that make sense? Yes, a hundred percent. And, and, you know, like you mentioned earlier, you've kind of fell into this role model role, but you are needed as a role model. So, right. you know, we need you to go on and, and, you know, have a voice right. and, and do the things and, then and inspire I, other women, exactly. black women, farmers, right. all the things that you, queer, you know, all the things that you represent are needed. Um, I appreciate that, to, and for I, you and to I be successful. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, at the the at the, you know, at the the hardest part through all of this, I think I had to have the conversation with myself that I I to also be kind to myself too, and that um, then remind myself, Chris, that this was always bigger than what you know, even beyond just being a winemaker, and what you're doing is something that's really is. Um, special. So, um, I absolutely agree with you and I do feel that, um, and I take that role very seriously and I think it's a privilege and I think it's fucking awesome that, that this is what I get to do with my life, you know, and, um, and this is my only job is to, uh, like my favorite quote from Spider-Man with Uncle Ben with great power comes great responsibility. And then that's it. Yeah, and yeah. I think that is basically what we need to end this conversation. <laughs> I like that. I like I mean, that. I'm again with a Spider-Man quote. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not mad about that. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, I know there's all. I mean, it's a whole other hour. We could talk about all the things and plans that you have to come, and you know, I'm excited for them, and 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 I'm here for it. Thank you so much for having me. I really yeah. appreciate it. This has okay. been a really good talk. Yeah. All right, Krista. <laughs> thank you so much for thank chatting. You so much. And uh, yeah, that was that was amazing. Cheers. Till next time. Cheers. for listening to this episode of Wine Splaining. Be sure to check out more episodes available wherever you love to listen and feel free to subscribe and review if you dig these women's stories. You can also check us out and learn more and get the haps at our website, winesplainingpodcast.com and social media handles, Winesplaining Podcast. And if you want to taste these wines with a story, head over to vinovore.com. You can shop online for pickup, shipping, or delivery or, of course, in person at any of our locations.